Lesson 13 for December 22 through to 28, Final Restoration of Unity, Sabbath afternoon, December 22. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we look forward in the future to that time when there will be no more discord between brothers or sisters or peoples or nations or villages where there'll be no more dissension because Jesus will be King and Jesus, will, our Saviour, will have us all with him. And we look forward to that day because you have promised that there'll be new heavens and a new earth in which dwells righteousness. As we study this week's lesson, we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us and bless us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Our memory text this week is Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 13. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Let's read that again. Second Peter 3 verse 13. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. One of the greatest promises of the Bible is Jesus' promise to come again. Without it, we have nothing, because our hopes centre in that promise and what it means for us. When Christ returns in the clouds of heaven, all that is earthly and human-made, and thus temporary, and at times meaningless, will be swept away. After the millennium in heaven, this earth, with its wars, famines, diseases and tragedies, will be made new and become the dwelling place of the redeemed, finally reunited with their Lord and with each other. Hope in the second coming of Christ is a major theme of the New Testament, and for centuries Christians have longed for the fulfilment of this promise. We, as Seventh-day Adventists, also long for his return. Indeed, our name itself proclaims that hope. In this final lesson, we look at this promise and what it means for Christian unity. Our oneness in Christ is often challenged by our human limitations and weaknesses. But we will no longer need to seek for solutions to our fragmentation because there will be no fragmentation. At the second advent, we will be one with the Lord, finally reunited and forming one restored family. Sunday, December 23, The Certainty of Christ's Return John 14, verses 1 to 3, is the best-known promise of Jesus' second coming. Question, what does this promise tell you about the kind of life the redeemed will live on the new earth? Well, let's read John 14, beginning at verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. 
Early Christians considered Christ's return the blessed hope, as recorded in Titus 2, verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. They expected all the prophecies and promises of Scripture to be fulfilled at the second advent, for it is the very goal of the Christian pilgrimage. All who love Christ look forward to the day they will be able to share face-to-face fellowship with Him. His words in those verses suggest a closeness and intimacy that we will share, not only with Jesus, but with each other as well. Christians believe in this promise because the Bible assures us of its fulfilment. We have this assurance because we believe in the words of Jesus, I will come again, John 14 verse 3. Just as Christ's first coming was prophesied, so his second coming also is foretold, even in the Old Testament. Before the flood, God told the patriarch Enoch that the Messiah's coming in glory would put an end to sin. He prophesied, and it's recorded in Jude 14 and 15, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. A thousand years before Jesus came to this earth, King David also prophesied of the Messiah's coming to gather God's people together. In Psalm 50 verses 3 to 5 he writes, Our God shall come, and shall not keep silent. A fire shall devour before him, and it shall be very tempestuous all around him. He shall call to the heavens from above, and to the earth, that he may judge his people. Gather my saints together to me, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The second coming of Jesus is linked closely to his first advent. The prophecies that predicted his birth and ministry are the foundation for our hope and trust in the promises about his second coming. For example, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And Micah chapter 5 verse 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah... Yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from of old, from everlasting. And Isaiah 11 verse 1, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And Daniel chapter 9 verses 25 and 26 Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublesome times. And after the sixty-two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood, and till the end of the war desolations are determined. Christ, as it says in Hebrews 9:26 and 28, has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. 
So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time, apart from sin, for salvation. So to finish the day. What are ways that you can even now draw hope and comfort from the promise of the second coming? Monday, December 24, The Promise of Restoration Question, read Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through to 10, What promise is given to Israel, and what does it say about the eternal dwelling place of the redeemed? Isaiah 11, beginning at verse 1, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play with the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea." And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. The Bible begins with the story of the creation of the earth, Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, famously beginning with, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. It is a description of a beautiful and harmonious world entrusted to our first parents, Adam and Eve. A perfect world and home for the human race whom God had created. The Bible's last two chapters also speak of God's creating a perfect and harmonious world for redeemed humanity. Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22. But this time it is more accurate to say recreation, the restoration of the earth from the ravages of sin. In many places, the Bible declares that this eternal home of the redeemed will be a real place, not an imagined fantasy or dream. The redeemed will be able to see, hear, smell, touch and feel a new experience, a new life. 
the prophecy of Isaiah 11 is a beautiful passage foretelling the coming of the Messiah, who will create a new era. He will end all violence and usher in an eternal peace. The reign of God on this new earth will establish universal harmony. Question. Read Revelation chapter 21 verses 1 through to 5. What will disappear forever as a result of this new harmony? Revelation 21 beginning at verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them, and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Ellen White wrote of what awaits the redeemed in The Story of Redemption, page 432 and 433. As the years of eternity roll, they will bring richer and more glorious revelations of God and of Christ. As knowledge is progressive, so will love, reverence and happiness increase. The more men learn of God, the greater will be their admiration of His character. As Jesus opens before them the riches of redemption and the amazing achievements in the great controversy with Satan, the hearts of the ransomed beat with a stronger devotion, and they sweep the harps of gold with a firmer hand, and ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands of voices unite to swell the mighty chorus of praise. And so, to finish today, what are ways that we can understand even now the character of God? How does living in harmony and unity with others reveal something about the character and nature of God? Tuesday, December 25, Resurrection and Restored Relationships From the earliest days of the Church, the promise of Christ's return has perhaps more than anything else sustained the hearts of God's faithful people, especially during trials. Whatever their frightful struggles, whatever their inconsolable sorrows and pain, they had the hope of Christ's return and all the wonderful promises of the second advent contains. Question. Read First Thessalonians 4 verses 13 to 18. What promises are included in this passage? What does this say about the hope of restored relationships? First Thessalonians chapter 4 beginning at verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, 
lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we, who are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Christ's second coming will affect all humanity in profound ways. An important aspect of the establishment of God's kingdom is the gathering of the elect, described in Matthew 24:31, And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. At the moment of this gathering, the righteous dead will be resurrected and receive immortality, as we read in 1 Corinthians fifteen, fifty-two, and 53, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality." The dead in Christ will rise first, it said in 1 Thessalonians 4.16. This is the moment we all have been waiting for. The resurrected ones will reunite with those who have been longing for their presence and love. This is how Paul exults at this event in 1 Corinthians 15.55. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? It is not the diseased, aged, disfigured bodies that went down into the grave that come up in the resurrection, but new, immortal, perfect bodies, no longer marked by the sin that caused their decay. The resurrected saints experience the completion of Christ's work of restoration, reflecting the perfect image of God intended at creation, as we read in Genesis 1.26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And 1 Corinthians 15, verses 46 to 49. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. At the moment of Jesus' second advent, when the redeemed dead are resurrected, the righteous alive on earth will be changed and also be given new perfect bodies. As it says in 1 Corinthians 15.53, For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. 
So these two groups of redeemed, the resurrected and transformed righteous, shall be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 4.17 And so to finish the day, in our scientific age, even some Christians try to find a natural explanation for everything, including miracles. What does the promise of the resurrection teach us about why only the supernatural acts of God can save us? Wednesday, November 26, A New Earth for the Redeemed For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. Isaiah 65, verse 17 Both Isaiah and John, in Revelation 21, 1, saw in vision the promised new earth. Revelation 21, 1 reads, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Question. Consider John's description of the fabulous city of the redeemed, the New Jerusalem, in Revelation, verse 2 and verses 9 to 27. What do these verses imply about the unity and harmony that will exist in this city? Then I, John, saw the holy city New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And verses 9 to 27. Then one of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues, came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall with twelve gates, and twelve angels at the gates, and names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. The city is laid out on a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, twelve thousand furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall. 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. The construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, 
the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of the Lord illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honour into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day, there shall be no night there, and they shall bring the glory and the honour of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles, or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Question. Read Revelation 22, verses 1 through to 5. The river of life that flows from the throne of God, with the tree of life that spans it, are two other important features of the new city. What will be their purpose on the new earth? Revelation 22, beginning at verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, and on either side of the river, was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign for ever and ever. The tree of life, which Adam lost access to through his transgression, will be restored by Christ in the new Jerusalem. Let's read Genesis three twenty-two to 24 Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand, and take also of the tree of life, and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden, to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Access to this tree is one of the promises to those who overcome, as we read in Revelation 2 verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. It's bearing twelve kinds of fruit, a new kind each month, as mentioned in Revelation 22.2, might possibly suggest a reason that in the new earth, from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord, Isaiah 66.23. 
The reference to the healing of the nations also underscores God's intent to remove all barriers between people and to restore humanity to its original purpose, to restore all people, tribes and nations into one undivided family, living in harmony and peace, united to give glory to God. From the book Revelation of Jesus Christ, Commentary on the Book of Revelation, page 593, the author Ranko Stefanovic writes, The healing of the nations refers figuratively to the removal of all national and linguistic barriers and separation. The leaves of the tree of life heal the breaches between nations. The nations are no longer Gentiles, but are united into one family as the true people of God. As we read in Revelation chapter 21, verses 24 through to 26. And that reads, And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honour into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there and they shall bring the glory of the honour of the nations into it. What Micah anticipated centuries earlier is now being fulfilled. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they train for war. Each of them will sit under his vine and under his fig tree, with no one to make them afraid. Micah 4, verses 3 and 4. And we're going to compare that with Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 4. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. There, on the banks of the river of life, the redeemed will invite his neighbour to sip, as it says in Zechariah 3.10, with him under the tree of life. The curing quality of the leaves of the tree will heal all wounds, racial, ethnic, tribal, or linguistic, that have torn and divided humanity for ages. End of quote. Thursday, December 27, Life on the New Earth Question Read Isaiah 35, verses 4 to 10, and chapter 65, verses 21 to 25. How different will life then be from what we experience now? Isaiah 35, beginning at verse 4. Say to those who are fearful-hearted, Be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For waters shall burst forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of jackals, where each lay, there shall be grass with seeds and rushes. A highway shall be there, and a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. But 
it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast go up on it. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And Isaiah 65, beginning at verse 21. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people, and my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labour in vain, nor bring forth children for trouble, for they shall be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord, and their offspring with them. It shall come to pass that before they call I will answer, and while they are still speaking I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together, the lion shall eat straw like the ox, the dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Several times in the book of Isaiah we read of something new, new things in chapter 42 verse 9 and chapter 48 verse 6, a new song in chapter 42 verse 10, a new thing in chapter 43 verse 19, a new name in chapter 62 verse 2. What is new in chapter 65 is a new order of things. There is peace and harmony among all God's creatures. The covenant curses on the land for disobedience and rebellion will be cancelled forever because sin is no more. Instead, there will be abundance of blessings, houses to live in and food to enjoy. Let's look at those uh, covenant curses in Leviticus chapter 26 beginning at verse 14, but if you do not obey me and do not observe all these commandments, and if you despise my statutes, or if your soul abhors my judgments so that you do not perform all my commandments, but break my covenant, I also will do this to you. I will even appoint terror over you, wasting disease and fever which shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart. And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you shall reign over you, and you shall flee when no one pursues you. And Deuteronomy 28 verse 30 You shall betroth a wife. But another man shall lie with her. You shall build a house, but you shall not dwell in it. You shall plant a vineyard, but shall not gather its grapes. What will life be like in such a beautiful place that was described before? Some people wonder if we will be able to recognize our friends and family after our bodies receive immortality and are fully restored into God's image. After Christ's resurrection, his disciples were able to recognize him. Mary recognized his voice, and we read that in John 20, verses 11 to 16, but Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. 
Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, Teacher. Thomas recognized Jesus' physical appearance in John twenty, twenty-seven, and 28. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here, and look at my hands, and reach your hand here, and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. The two disciples of Emmaus recognized his mannerisms at the dinner table. Luke 24, verses 30, 31, and 35. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And verse 35, And they told about the things that had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. So, if our bodies are to be similar to Jesus' resurrected body, we certainly will be able to recognize each other, and we can look forward to an eternity of restored relationships. We safely can assume that we will continue our relationships with those we know and love and who were there with us. As we read in the Great Controversy, page 677, There the redeemed shall know, even as also they are known. The loves and sympathies which God himself has planted in the soul shall there find truest and sweetest exercise. The pure communion with holy beings, the harmonious social life with the blessed angels and with the faithful ones of all ages, who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb, the sacred ties that bind together the whole family in heaven and earth, as it says in Ephesians 3.15. These help to constitute the happiness of the redeemed. And so to finish today, 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 to 18 reads, Therefore we do not lose heart, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. How can we... In a world that's so temporal, so fleeting, learn to reach out and grasp the unseen and eternal. Friday, December 28. 
From the book Councils for the Church, page 358, we read, The resurrection and ascension of our Lord is a sure evidence of the triumph of the saints of God over death and the grave, and a pledge that heaven is open to those who wash their robes of character and make them white in the blood of the Lamb. Jesus ascended to the Father as a representative of the human race, and God will bring those who reflect his image to behold and share with him his glory. There are homes for the pilgrims of earth. There are robes for the righteous, with crowns of glory and palms of victory. All that has perplexed us in the providences of God will in the world to come be made plain." The things hard to be understood will then find explanation. The mysteries of grace will unfold before us. Where our finite minds discovered only confusion and broken promises, we shall see the most perfect and beautiful harmony. We shall know that infinite love ordered the experiences that seemed most trying. As we realise the tender care of Him who makes all things work together for our good, we shall rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. One, though other Christians, but not all, believe in the literal second coming of Jesus, what is unique about the Adventist hope in the second coming of Christ? Two, two fish were swimming when one said to the other, How's the water? The first fish answered, What's water? The point is that we can get so used to things that we don't realise just how prevalent they are. For instance, how can we, as beings born in sin, filled with sin, and living in a sinful world, really get a good grasp of what a wonderful new existence we will have in the new heavens and new earth? Why, whatever the limitations, should we still try to envision what it will be like? 3. There's no question that whatever our existence will be like in the new earth, we will live in unity with everyone. What can we do right now to help prepare ourselves for when that happens? And to summarise this week's lesson, the Bible speaks confidently of the time this earth will be recreated and the ravages of sin erased forever. At last, humanity will be restored to its original purpose, and all people will live in harmony. Our current spiritual oneness in Christ, though not now fully realised, will then be a living and eternal reality. Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled My Bucket List and it's by Bob Stewart. The doctor looked me straight in the eye. You have inoperable prostate cancer, he said. You have 18 months to live. Back at home, my family and I sat down to compile a bucket list of things to accomplish in my last 18 months. One of my four sons said he wanted to go on a cross-country bike ride with me. Another son spoke of running a half-marathon in Seattle. My daughter wanted to cut a music CD together. Then I thought to myself, what do I want to do? The answer was easy. I wanted to do more to share the gospel. 
I decided to bring at least one person to church every month. My first chance to extend an invitation came two days later when someone asked me, Bob, how's your cancer? I told her about my bucket list and my plan to invite people to church. Would you be willing to help me fulfill my bucket list by coming to church next Sabbath? I said. The woman looked at me with compassion. She saw this as a last wish. Of course I'll come, she said. I have 2,200 clients a year, so I have a golden opportunity when they inquire about my health. It's so easy to invite them to church. At least two people, a married couple, have been baptised and their eldest daughter will be baptised in a few weeks. Today, the wife leads a children's Sabbath school class and is bringing other people to church. I'll keep your gift going, she told me. I've got kids and their parents coming to church. Anyone can have a bucket list. It might be 20 years or more before you die. But you can start fulfilling that bucket list today by inviting someone to church every month. Imagine how quickly the Seventh-day Adventist Church would grow if each of the church's 20 million members brought in just one person a year. Conceivably, our church membership would double in just 12 months. 27 months have passed since the doctor gave me 18 months to live. I have invited many people to church and about half have come. The bucket list has become a lot of fun. It's wonderful to hear people say, Yes, I will commit to visiting your church. But the most gratifying moment of all is when they actually come. They hug you and sit with you in church. They become part of your family. Bob Stewart, whose photograph appears here, is 68 years old and is a serial entrepreneur based in College Place in Washington in the United States. You have been listening to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide by Dr. Percy Harold from Queensland, Australia. This service is brought to you by Hope Channel, the Sabbath School Department and Christian Services for the Blind. Remember, God is always faithful.